thanks to our sponsor, Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, wouldn't you take it? Because our friends at Nintex want to give you a gift, the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products that you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to spend it how you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 392, where today, CJ and I are going to catch up on the latest news in the Microsoft Cloud, recorded live January the 14th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by AppPoint. If you like the Microsoft Cloud Show, you'll love the Shift Happens podcast with MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation project. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably rise when ambitious people try to impact their workspace. Season 1 features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to avpoint.com slash blog slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Back to the show. Good morning, CJ. How's it going? Good, mate. How are you? I'm doing just fine today, I guess. It's uh, just fine. Just fine. Excellent. Well, yeah. And yourself? Oh, I already asked you that. Sorry. I'm a little discombobulated. (laughs) No, no, no. uh, We've just come out of having power power loss for 24 hours due to a small puff of wind that manages to take out most of Seattle. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the land of the powered. Powerful. Yeah. We have a generator, which sounds a bit odd to a lot of people, but it happens every year here with the amount of trees that we have. It takes mm-hmm. out the power whenever it just seems seemingly like somebody farts in the wrong direction and it takes out the power. But it, mm. So we had power, but no internet because of downstream power outage issues. And mm. it's just weird how much, how useless you feel without it, right? You notice when you lose it because working becomes a lot tougher when everything is mm-hmm. online. And um, I was trying to do, I did a meeting, a Teams meeting, but I had to do it from my laptop tethered over my cell phone. And, you know, that is not exactly a robust experience. Nope. It's low, you know, low bandwidth really and just a not a great experience. Plus you can't do anything else at the same time really and so it's pretty unproductive, you know, to be able to look up documents you need in the meeting or what have you. And... Um, you know, I just get reminded of it once a year, how dependent we are on connectivity. It's surprising. You don't really realize it until you're forced into it. Like, I mean, I've done a couple of times where I've done something, I've knocked this offline and to try and set something up at the house or or to try and fix something in the house or move some move a piece of equipment around. And somebody will complain about the TVs all of a sudden not working, which the TV works just fine. Or I can't get my email, which is obvious. Or you can't do Instagram, which is obvious. But it's when... When you have an outage and it's a full like connectivity outage that's lasting for multiple hours, you get a nice long experience of just like, yeah, you're I can't do that. You're right. I can't yeah. I can't do that. 
why aren't my lights turning off? Oh, that's because smart things isn't connected. So it can't, doesn't know that it's supposed to turn those off because that's all automated. How blinds. It was the first thing I noticed. I came down in the morning and the power's out and I was like, why are all the, bl- oh yeah, the blinds <laughs> were all down because obviously the power's out. And yeah. so they didn't go up automatically. They're actually, they're battery powered, but they're told from something that's powered to go up, right? So yeah. uh, I had to get the power cranked up to get all that stuff back. But surprisingly, like our smart lighting system, our blinds, most automation continued to work locally, which yeah. was good. Yeah, that was the the thing that was kind of odd to me. Like I woke up, my I have a smart things automation that it turns on the a light in the kitchen at like ten percent, just for like some ambient light. It turns another lamp on in the house, and it turns the coffee pot on, or it turns the outlet on that the coffee pot's turned into. I don't have like an automatic like timer on my coffee pot. It just kind of turns on. And um, I remember I walked out of the bedroom, and the coffee wasn't on, and the light in the kitchen wasn't on, and the light in the next to the piano wasn't on. I was like. That's odd. So I go through and I turn it on. I'm like, oh, so smart things just farted and just didn't work tonight, this morning. So I go through and turn it on and go sit down at my desk and, yeah, I'm doing some stuff. And I'm I'm on my phone for a second while while the coffee's going. And I'm like, man, everything is just so damn slow. What what the heck is going on? (laughs) And it was because power was still going. So the network was up and Wi-Fi was up. So my phone's like going, oh, we get a better connection here. So it's trying to get out through the Wi-Fi. And then it's failing over to my – and then you get the whole thing where, like – does it make sense to get, should I get a backup internet connection? Because I'm starting to think about it and I always thought that it was excessive and do you plan for that? And I'm talking to, I'm talking to my wife and I'm like, is this something we should consider? Because both kids are doing like virtual school and I work from home mm-hmm. and this is my, this is our income. So should we have, I have a friend that did the same thing about a year ago and mm-hmm. like our network is set up where it can fail over between two networks. And so I'm like, should we have like a low cost, mm. high speed bandwidth connection so that we can not be like completely cut off? But yeah, no Netflix, no YouTube TV, none of that stuff, no gaming. But at least they could still do school and yeah, you know, you need something that survives a power outage. Like I ex- like I found like I suspect like a DSL connection would survive a power outage because like phone lines, like traditional mm-hmm. pots, you know, copper still, at least in my experiences, run during power outages. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Or I was thinking about also looking at like um, other wireless type hotspot mobile options that had better, I guess, better bandwidth choices, like a 5G hotspot or something from another provider in this area that has better coverage or something. Yeah, I, I looked at the same thing for you and I are both on on have a Unify based network, a ubiquity based network. And they have a little $200 thing that you can plug into the network, and it does the auto failover to right. AT&T to right. a first cellular connection. Like, I've got all of our networking stuff is all on a battery. Like, I have one of those big rack batteries that will last about an hour and a half or so for all the equipment. And it'll fail over to, and that thing works like a champ. But it doesn't, The I don't have, like, a backup internet connection. So I looked at, like, the the wireless thing, and I looked at the... I looked at like, you know, do we go, like I'm on AT&T Fiber, do I switch over and have a Comcast like coax connection coming in? And of course you look at it a little bit going, I don't want to spend this money. You set it aside until the next time we lose internet and then I'm probably going to think about it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like a backup, right? I wish I had that backup. I, sh- I should do my backups. I should test my backups. Yeah. But anyway. anyway. So that was my last 24 hours, but I'm back in the saddle and uh, able to work again, which is good. Welcome back to the land of the connected. Well, work more productively, I should say. There you, there you go. It's been a... Very hectic, like, last, like, two weeks or so. Oh, why? What's been going on? Oh, uh, we're not going? Let's not, 
<laughs> we talked about that a little bit in the last show. Let's talk. <laughs> Very strong feelings on both of our parts that no one tunes into a podcast to find out what we think true. about, the, Very, about true. Our current events. But we do have some news we're going to go through today. We don't have a ton of news because I think a lot of companies have kind of decided that, you know, a lot of things that they were going to announce, they kind of were like going, maybe we should not like announce this right now because nobody's going to pay attention to it because everyone's going, nobody's going to like the tech news stuff. Everybody's going to like CNN and MSNBC yeah. or Fox News or AP. Or, I feel bad. For, they're going for, I think CES is going on right now. It is. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it is going on. It's a virtual event and exact same thing, man. It's like, if you know how you always wait to hold bad news until yeah. late on Friday? Man, this is the time. This is like, yeah. if you got like bad news to your company, like going, we're going to miss our quarterly numbers this, this quarter. We're going to miss we, our numbers this quarter. We're going to miss going, our quarterly numbers. We've been hacked. We're under Our like, CEO's in a sex scandal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. We've That's lost a great all time our to do customers' it. backups. Yeah, <laughs> just get it all out there. Which, you know, it's funny. I actually have an announcement going out for my company in about 30 minutes or so, about 20 minutes from now, or so from now. So I know I'm going to get like a bunch of out-of-office emails are going to start banging me in just a minute and for emails that's going out and stuff. I released two more chapters for my MS600 exam nice. prep course today. And so we're telling everybody about it. We're running a little sale for like the next week. But I'm sitting there like going, should I hold this? I'm like, oh my God, how long am I going to hold this? I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I, yeah. I sent an email to everybody. I'm not going to try and like do like a whole ad campaign and stuff. Like this isn't the time. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, it does seem uh, like that sort of period right now. Yeah, it is. But hey, whatever. Hey, we got a little bit of news that we can that we can kind of dive into here. Actually, before we, yeah, let's go ahead and let's start diving into the news. Sound good? Definitely. This episode is sponsored by ShareGate. You probably didn't get into cloud engineering to spend hours manually sifting through layers of data or manually creating reports to understand and explain your Azure costs. Neither did the IT pros at ShareGate, which is why they built ShareGate Overcast. ShareGate Overcast is an Azure cost intelligence tool that reduces manual monitoring and helps you make cost-efficient engineering decisions. And it can help you lower your Azure bill. ShareGate Overcast scans your Azure environment daily and analyzes your cost data. It automatically identifies cost issues and gives you the insights that you need to fix problems fast. Plus, with personalized cost savings recommendations, you can be sure that you're only paying for the resources that you need. And best of all, you can get ShareGate Overcast for free. Find out more at sharegate.com slash cloud show. This podcast is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at Raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. And we're back. All right, CJ... We, we've got a handful of things. Yeah. What's that? Well, the first one on our list is yeah. political, <laughs> political, but not political. Like I yeah. put it on, I put it on the list because I think it's a really interesting tech story. I agree with you. I agree with you. So 
the title of our episode this week is about Microsoft Cloud News, but there is one bit of news that it, it is it is related to a lot of the current events that have been going on in the United States around the events at the U.S. Capitol on January the sixth. Yeah, I'll just yep. I'll say that you can't debate that something happened. <laughs> Just leave it at that. I mean, you probably could. (laughs) Nope. Dial it back. Come on back, CJ. Come on back. (laughs) But one of the things that the link that you dropped here, one of the things that has that was really interesting to watch was it was around Parlor, but it was most like around like the hack, the hack. What it was around a lot of pieces about Parlor, but what one hacker did, this this one girl did is she was able to uncover an, a like a vulnerability with Parler, part of design issue, part of just a part of a, a poor design issue and part just I don't know what you want to call it but yeah. she was able to just the attention that they were getting in a, like a crowdsourced way rip down 80 terabytes of all the public videos and pictures and stuff and content posts and everything yeah of Parler and have shared it and now watch people doing like these open data sets with the data that they've, that they've retrieved. Yeah. Fascinating story. Like, you know, and I mean, when it rains, it pours and parlors under a waterfall right now, but, <laughs> but this, you know, this is just sort of adding to their pile of, oh God. And um, I saw an article, there's conflicting reports of how this happened because on the one side there was, I read a story about how when Twilio dropped parlor, then these hackers were able to get into admin accounts without using having to go through two-factor auth and things like that. But then I read another article just last night that was an interview with one of the hackers who said, no, no, we just we just used a whole bunch of publicly available endpoints to get at stuff. So I'm really not sure of exactly what happened, but it's probably a combo of both. But yeah, grabbing... 70 terabytes or 80 terabytes of whatever it is of content. Obviously, I'm pretty conflicted about it in some ways, right? Because it's people's information mm-hmm. and that, that they're trusted to a third party to take care of, right? And that's all been exposed. So from that side, I feel pretty like, oh, this is not good for cloud stuff. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I'm less conflicted about it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because of the subject matter, right? And because yeah, yeah. Be, because of the in the context. So the one that I saw, the, so the girl that I forget the handle she goes by, it's like Doxy or something like that. Yeah. She was tweeting a bunch about what they had done. And you're right. There was a lot of stuff around. We were able to create a bunch of admin accounts and all the uh, millions of admin accounts, according to some articles. But then later, she w- when she was interviewed, she quoted, she's like, yeah, that's BS. Mm. All we did is we figured out that when Parler uploads videos and when Parler creates new posts, they create them in sequential numbers. So it's like mm. if you create, you could go to like any Facebook post if you go to a post and then just drop a one on the end of it or drop a, you know, just increment yeah. the last digit and you'll get to the next post. But the thing that they did is that they're, those public posts, there's nothing around the site that there's no rate limiting or anything. And so they just effectively just overloaded Parler with requests to download every single publicly available right. thing. And right. one of the impacts from that too, which is, it's really interesting is you kind of, you, I guess, you know, I'm trying to stay as, as, as apolitical in this as I possibly can right now, but there was stuff there that, that was shared that I would, I would assume that a lot of people would not have wanted to be public or at least would not have wanted it to be shared. Mm. And like some of that stuff, 
is let's say if you did a video, if you took a video and you uploaded that video, a lot of organizations like Twitter and and other places where you where you can upload stuff, they strip out a bunch of metadata from yeah. the from the actual files. The EXIF data and things. Yeah, but with the data that was that was uploaded here, I mean, you've got like GPS coordinates and like device information. Model of the device, dates, timestamps. Yeah, the EMEI IDs as well. That's like the oh. identification for your SIM card and your phone. The IMEI? Yeah. Wow. So that's in there as well. And so what's amazing is like people have gone through, they pull all the data, and now you've got a bunch of like, I don't know if you call them hackers or whatever, but are going through the data and they're creating these like data sets. And you can say like, they're recreating stuff. They're looking, yep. they're showing maps of heat maps and all this stuff. And yeah. it's just like... I saw some of that. It's amazing. I would assume that if... You, if uh, but you're right. Like, it, one of the things about it was that people thought that everything was private and safe there. And they're finding out that holy... It's kind of like... It reminds me a lot of at the Ashley Madison stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I bet Paula are having a... Uh, a rough period in their of their life the last couple of weeks. Somebody was like, "There's talk, you know, how are they going to get back online and where are they going to go?" And there's challenges they're having, but it's like nobody's asking them the question of, even if you came back online, isn't what they've already exposed so far like it's, your it's customers done. have lost yeah. a lot of confidence in you? I mean, would they even come back? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. They have found a new provider to host their domain name, who happens to be in Washington State. And in a place called Sammamish, which is, you, I don't know, you've been here. So there's, oh, yeah. a, there's a domain name host that they've picked. And I, I suspect that that company is um, probably going to have some additional issues on its hands being associated with them. Because, you know, right now it's kind of a toxic situation. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they're trying to get back online and they're, they're saying they will. And I guess we'll see in time. From a tech point of view, from a geeky side of view, from the cloud news and everything, it's been really interesting to watch that unfold. I saw one comment on a Facebook group, a non-technical Facebook group, which I thought was really interesting, not for political reasons, but for just ignorance of how these things are run, right? And it said, they'll be fine. They'll just get a new server and they'll be back up in no time. I saw and that. I thought, I saw something like that. A server. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do a backup or restore it in another environment. It'll be up and running in the next hour. Like. They could just buy a server and plug it into their home Comcast connection. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that's not how this works. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, interesting technical story. Anyway, how about some Microsoft news? Yeah, let's pivot. Let's go to some apolitical. Some is we don't even have to be careful about this stuff now. <laughs> yeah. How, well, about, how about you start us off? I have one that's not quite cloudy that I think we should start with first. It's just an interesting. Microsoft have decided to start their enterprise naming scheme with their hardware lineup, and have now introduced a Surface Pro Seven Plus. <laughs> Seven Pro Plus for business. So, uh, God, I mean, it looks like nice hardware, don't get me wrong, but their naming scheme has finally, you know, the classic Microsoft naming scheme hit the skids and into their Surface Pro or their hardware lineup of devices. The device looks actually quite nice. They say it's it's a business device for a few reasons. It's got some businessy features. It's got a removable SSD, for example, Oh, things like that. So, you know, there's a few things that, Businesses obviously wanted in a device that that they've asked for and have, and have been tailored. And I don't think you can actually buy this at retail. 
Like you won't be able to walk into a store and buy one of these. I think you can only get them well, through. Not a Microsoft store. Those well, yeah, nobody's walking, into, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's walking into any stores at the moment, are they? Yeah, those are gone. <laughs> Correct. Oh, yeah. Microsoft is shutting the stores down, right? Well, they shut them down because of the pandemic, and they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to open these back up." They're not I think there's, them. yeah, there's like four like studios that'll be that'll be open, like a London. I think it was like there's four sh- stores around the world that'll be open, but they look like they're more just like faux show. Gotcha. Yeah, sort of marketing. They don't look like. That's right. We talked about that, didn't we? You can't buy stuff in them. I don't think you can buy stuff in them. I think you can like look. That's right. It's like limited Tesla stores, right? You can't buy something in a Tesla store. You just kind of go in and look at the stuff and like, I want to buy it. Like, going, well, you can all but buy it, right? They show they have like, yeah, you can use a little computer well, they've got there to order your Tesla. Yeah, it's basically like they're going to give you an iPad and say, now you can buy it. But same thing you could do with your phone. But so yeah, so yeah, this thing has uh, removable SSD, optional advanced. LTE for connectivity, 11th gen Tiger Lake processor, and there's something else really important to it. Oh yes, longer battery life. So it has four and a half more hours than the Pro 7 somehow. That I don't know, give it some more juice somehow. The SSD is kind of interesting. It looks in the picture like a, some sort of proprietary SSD module that you can buy and swap in and out. I don't know if it's a standard type connection. I'd never seen something that looks like that. That is a nice feature though, being able to pop the SSD out. I've got like a I've got a Surface Pro 4 that I want to throw out, but it doesn't boot. And I know that I've got stuff on the drive, but I'm afraid to I think I, I'm afraid to donate it anywhere because the drive I can't get sure. the drive out. Yeah. And so I think I'm just gonna end up getting the screws and just trying to figure out like go into like the I fix it and say, let's take it apart, let's just see what this thing looks like on the inside oh, because yeah, it's completely sure. dead. No use to me now, so. For sure. If you're working, you know, if you have one of these in a work situation and it dies for whatever reason, the company needs to be able to swap out a device real quick. And so a removable SSD can get you across devices faster. Yeah. If it's not the SSD, that's the problem. That's cool. Yeah. Switching over to the uh, Microsoft 365 news. First, I have one message center update. This is 23. 4048, and it's titled Microsoft Teams Connector Apps Webhook URL Security Improvement. So what are they taking my, away? <laughs> no, <they're>, <laughs> the domain. <laughs> ah. But I think this makes sense. Well, it makes sense. I haven't thought all the way through what the implication was, but effectively what they did is they, today when you create, and there's a couple different ways you can get something, get Teams to talk to something else. And kind of like the, the quick and dirty or the poor man's way of doing it is to use webhooks. And so it's allowing you to create an app and kind of register it as a webhook. And then they give you a URL that your app should talk to. And the URL that they use is outlook.office.com, I think, is the domain. Mm. And they're switching that so that it's now going to be your tenant name.webhook.office.com. And I think what that is, is that's a way for you to kind of have a little more control over the security mm. that your app sends stuff out to. So it's not like this... You can send it to any webhook. You can only send it to, or you can only send it to anything at outlook.office.com. It is, you can only send it to your tenant uh, webhooks. I see. Gotcha. So something to just kind of lock it down. Yeah, gotcha. Another interesting one around Microsoft 365. Microsoft came out with news that they're going to replace Outlook with a new app that's consistent across Windows and Mac, built on their web stuff that they've been doing with OA, which is going to feel very, I think there'll be a lot of people really conflicted about this on the one hand, 
like Outlook's a very dated and old app. It's pretty bloated and ancient, has a lot of support for things that are no longer that relevant, and so it would be great to have replaced with something a bit slicker, faster, more, you know, sort of more usable, more usable. It's codenamed Project Monarch, and I think this will be quite good. But, you know, Outlook is one of those things that's got so many things in it that I worry that there'll be 10% of things people want that are all different from one another, from Outlook, mm-hmm. right? And so I wonder if everybody will really jump on this too quickly, but we'll see. But it this, should, so it's going to be a while. I think Outlook's been doing a lot on Mac recently, and it looks like they're shaping up with the new Mac client yeah. to be what turns into this thing. Well, and so I'm a little conflicted on this. I mean, for two thoughts on it. The first one was that, you know, they we just got a brand new Mac client that mirrors more of what the what OA looks like with like this new UX. And it is an improvement. I mean, there's some features in it that I do like. And then to hear that, oh, we're going to completely redo it to make things more standard. And it's like, you just, it's kind of like, you just did a renovation to a house and now you want to go through and do another renovation to it like within three or four months of finishing it. Maybe that Outlook client for Mac is part of it. Well, then that, that's the part that's not clear. And that's and as I was looking, at, I saw this. When I saw this news initially, I was my first thought was I got a little scared. Because I'm like, I still use Outlook. Even though I'm on a Mac, I still use Outlook on my Mac OS, on my on my on my laptop, on my iPad, and on my phone. Yeah. And to hear them say we're going to have a complete like you know new thought or new approach at Outlook, and we're going to try and unify everything, and it just scares me because I'm like, you know, when you guys do this, this is a big change, and I'm not really mm-hmm. sure that this is one of those things that's you really want to mess too much. You're not breaking the start menu again, are you? You're going to really piss people off with this again. And well, there'll be I, stuff like people going. Oh, yeah, I need to be able to attach like PSTs and I've got com add-ins that I need to use at my company and all of that that won't work with this thing, probably. Yeah. Like, who knows? I doubt they will. Like, com add-ins probably won't work with it. And I don't know, they might support PSTs. I, I have no idea. But there'll be something that people use that won't be in it, no doubt. So yeah. we'll have to see how applicable it is. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, new Outlook client coming sometime next year, I think. Switching over to Microsoft Azure, first bit of news we have here is their new modular data center. And so what the modular data center is, it was this was more this was announced a little bit like late last year. It's basically you're getting Azure in a shipping container. Yeah. And it allows you to then bring in like a data center like on a flatbed or on a truck, which is really good for like a remote location or think about it as like not just like a remote location. The picture they show looks like it's in the middle of like a uh, like in the country or something. Yeah. Inside the data center, it's all like it's all running Azure Stack, and it can run disconnected or it can run through an uplink like through a satellite. But think about like other uses for this. This could be a great way, like when they bring in like mobile mobile power generators or these mobile like cell towers in the case of a natural disaster, like a hurricane or floods or something like that. It's be a really good option for those those scenarios to bring in uh, when they need to have a lot of computing, a lot of compute. Yeah. Quickly. I caught one piece of this article that really piqued my interest, which was that they're being used in defense and defense scenarios as well. So I suspect mm-hmm. it's all sort of tied into the whole Jedi thing. Yeah. So now that. I can drop a container in in country of wherever you have defense operations going on and you've got, you know, Edge Azure, basically, mm-hmm. that goes with you, you know, a data center that goes with you. We're going to drop a couple of tanks in, drop a bunch of paratroopers in, and we're also going to and drop a data in center. Yeah. a data center right in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. So you can have an 
epic Xbox gaming right there in, yeah. in, uh, in the field. That's right. So you, yeah, so you can still get to your file shares. <laughs> there you go. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, following Apple's lead, well, I don't know, lead, if, who was doing what first, but one that I thought was quite interesting, there's a paywalled article, unfortunately, from Bloomberg that I think some people may be able to get free a free look at, but Microsoft is designing their own ARM chips for servers, right? So similar to what we saw with Apple doing their own ARM-based stuff for their laptops, Microsoft are doing it with their servers. And this is kind of interesting because it means you get, eventually we may get ARM options in Azure and I'm guessing for like various different distributions of Windows can run on ARM now as well, and Linux, obviously, and things like that. So there might be different sort of more flexible if you don't need x86-type-based options in the cloud, more ARM-based choices from Microsoft coming, which sounds pretty cool. Be good. Yeah, be lower, nice. lower power, but also actual lower power, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'd be curious to see like what... That's one of the things I've been really interested to see what other companies are going to do in response to Apple's M1 chip. And the fanfare that they're getting for that. I mean, I know, you know ARM is not anything new, but it's the first that the Apple M1 was is turned into be a bit of a game changer, it seems, compared to like the existing ARM movement. So I was, I was curious to see where other people were going to go with that. Like you were just talking about, we were talking about the Surface news and like the additional power, like an extra four hours. Like, yeah, that doesn't seem as impressive when when you start seeing like the news that comes out about the M1. So it's like that's what's yeah. going to be. That's, it's going to be interesting to see where, this, where those go. Yeah. I saw you dropped another link here about Azure for retail, and I hadn't seen this, and I haven't been able to pick up exactly what this is about. Do you want to cover that one for us? I, or? Honestly, I don't know either. I, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I saw it, and I was like, oh, man, Microsoft's doing another one of these. If we talk about vertical solutions, perhaps vertical people will start using us more. But it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of substance behind it. And it's like when Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare, maybe we should go find somebody who knows about this stuff to come on and talk to us about specifically what is it mm-hmm. that they've done for the for healthcare that makes it, you know, vertically suited outside of like HIPAA regulations and stuff like that. And I suspect the same thing for retail as well. Like what have they added to Azure that makes it so specifically appealing to retail? I suspect nothing. I suspect it's it's a story around what they've already got, but for retail. Mm-hmm. This post doesn't really give much away from what I could tell. It just talks about different trends in the industry based on what's going on with COVID and how Azure can help with that, like mm-hmm. data explosion and how you can store lots of stuff in Azure and like. B2B e-commerce capabilities with Dynamics 365. Mm. I don't think there's anything new in this. I think it's just sort of wrapping it up in a retail story. That, okay, that's why I was kind of, as I was trying to read through this, when I saw that you posted it, I was like, what is this? Is this just, and, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that makes know. me feel, at least I didn't, I wasn't missing something. It's basically the text version of a, of a big PowerPoint deck that's trying to, you know, here's how we use way. our existing stuff. And that might be just my sort of techie brain taking over and how, thinking about it, but. That's what it looks like to me. You can't go buy Azure for retail skew from Azure, mm. from what I can tell. I don't know. And then finally, we've got one more thing before we should move on. Did you know Skype was still a thing? No, I thought it was. I thought it was Skype consumer or yeah, any. Skype. Well, I didn't know the it, either one. Skype. The actual Skype. No, I didn't know. Yeah, 
apparently they've got new features that have been added from Teams back into Skype. So Skype for Windows, Mac, Linux, and web. Apparently now you can have together mode in Skype. So, I mean, it's been a long time since I've used Skype, but apparently it's still used quite a lot. That's an interesting That's an interesting move. I wonder why they wouldn't try and push people to teams to get together mode. I don't know. They maybe think families will get use it. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people still using Skype. So they want to, I don't know, I guess they want to keep those people from using huh. other solutions, perhaps. And yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what the strategy is there with Skype. Interesting. Anyway, it's the-, the first news I've seen on Skype for quite a long time. So I thought it was a curious addition. I would agree with that. That's the first thing I've seen on it for a while as well. But hey, Skype is back. Well, I shouldn't say that. Skype is back. Yeah. It's almost like, it's, yeah, I shouldn't say. It. Never mind. I'm- I am not dead. I am. I am merely moderately wounded. <laughs> that is exactly where I was going to go with the Monty Python. Thing. I'm not dead yet. Like, oh, you'll be stone dead in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Austin Powers were. <laughs> Ow! That really, really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So that's the news in a slow tech news. Week by far is not a slow news week, but it's a slow tech news week. So that's the news from the Microsoft Cloud. How about we pivot and go for some picks? Sounds good. AC's Voitanos delivers on demand video based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Mr. Johnson, would you like to kick us off? Yes, I had an interesting Twitter conversation this week with a chap called Benson who we were discussing the ins and outs of USB when I wasn't really discussing. He was discussing and I was like nodding in furious agreement because he's a software engineer on the Google Chrome OS team. And he was replying to a reply that I made to Omar Shaheen, who was talking Mm. about USB and how do you know what a USB-C cable, if a USB-C cable can support USB 3.0, I almost took his post and said, I'm pretty sure all USB 3 cables have to have like the colored plastic part of the plug. I'd I'd missed the USB-C part of his post. Mm. Anyway, this chap Benson came back and started talking about USB-C. And apparently, not all USB-C cables are alike. And USB-C is just the plug standard. It's not the protocol standard. And so you can have a USB 2 USB-C cord. Oh, my God. But the plot thickens. No! He's he's got a post up. Well, apparently the USB landscape is a complete mess, right? And I knew part of this because I realized I'd heard that some power cable, some cables were capable of just data and some were only, you know, of various power ratings and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you'll find out really quick that that's the case. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Turns out this guy knows quite a lot about USB. And the too long didn't read story is there are now eight USB-C to USB-C cable types. Thunderbolt 3 cables officially count two, and it's getting hard to manage, but help is on the way. So anyway, I'll link to his post, but he he walks through the different types of cables, what what USB version they support, what current types they support, power delivery, things like that. 
So yeah, you can have like USB 2 rated at 3 amps, USB 2 rated at 5 amps, USB 3.2 Gen 1 rated at 3 amps, USB 3.2 Gen 1 rated at 5 amps. There's like eight different combinations. Man, it was supposed to be get easier. Yeah. I guess it is. He's like, don't have to like, you know, try and put the cable in one way and then flip it over and put it in the other way and realize you got to go back the first way. You just didn't have it lined up right. Yeah, but there's cables that you could, so you go buy a USB 3 cable, you think it's USB, a USB-C cable that you think is USB 3, like it's fast, right? USB-C is fast. Turns mm-hmm. out USB-C is not fast necessarily. Man. Anyway. I love USB-C. I love that now my, I mean, my laptop is all USB-C. I love that my iPad is all USB-C. I wish my phone was USB-C. But it does get to be a bit of a pain. Like I have a, I have a USB-C cable between my hub and my laptop. And then another one between my, lap, my monitor and my laptop. And someone's like, oh, look, you just do one plug and it does everything. I'm like, yeah, no, because I also have a third one mm. that I plug into just power. Because if you put power on the opposite side of where all the data comes in, your laptop doesn't spin up. A, your fan doesn't spin up just because of yep. physically the way that the logic board is set up on a Mac. And it's, yeah. oh, I do man. love how I don't have to plug a USB 2 or USB 3. Oh, God. What's the term for the big plugs? Not USB-C. USB USB B isn't it USB B's like there's USB A's and USB B's. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, the big plug. Yeah, I love it how with USB C I don't have to plug that in. Th- I don't have to try three times to get a USB mm-hmm. fat big one mm-hmm. because you always have to try three times. It's mm-hmm. Murphy's law, man. It always happens. It, to- it always it always happens. And, but and the nice thing too with USB C is that I mean when you when you plug it in almost every device I've used it's like a it's a night you get a nice a little click. click and it's like oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's a solid good. feeling yeah it is also the big plugs when you pull them out and they're a bit tight you feel like you're going to bring half the computer's guts with you yes you know when you pull it out and it's like it's got friction and you're like oh my god I'm going mm-hmm. to pull part of my motherboard out with this or something just gives you that confidence that it's in there nice and tight it's like parking the car and you like throw it into park like but when you're still moving like one mile an hour and you throw it into park and you have that little jerk like going yep we're in park yeah <laughs> confident <laughs> classic how about you what do you got for us this week well going back to our ARM discussion a minute ago, I found an article here, a recent article. It's back onto that whole Apple M1 chip. Now, I know that there's a little bit of news going around right now that these MacBook Pros that have these M1 chips are having some issues with Bluetooth, and Apple says, you know, help is on the way. And there's an update that's coming out for those. But this M1 chip has just got me, like, it was impressive when it first came out, and then in the month after when people started getting their hands on it, you started seeing the power and the performance of these chips from real users. It's like, holy crap, all the marketing stuff is actually true. It's not just hype. I found a new article here that talks about how the M1, how much more powerful it is for doing machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence-based stuff compared to the NVIDIA V100 hmm. for like architecture. And so this is showing... First of all, it's showing the difference between like Apple Intel and the Apple M1 and the NVIDIA V100. And the M1 is pretty damn close to the NVIDIA 100. But when you look at some of the stuff, when it talks about like runtime and stuff, but if you look at the amount of power that's consumed and the utilization that the M1 has with the GPU compared to the V100, Mm. it's pretty damn staggering. Like, for example... You know, when you look at the average time runtime for like, they did a bunch of different configurations and everything for this training script. And 
the TLDR pictures, the very first part of it, you look at these three pictures and you can see in this article where it shows the difference. Like the Apple Intel is over five and a half seconds long. The Apple M1 is, looks like about six, 1.6 seconds long. Whereas yeah. the V100 looks like it's about like 1.2, 1.3. So it, the V100 is, is a little bit faster. Yeah. But it, it's the efficiency that's impressive. So on mm-hmm. the average watts consumed, you see the M1 is like, it looks like maybe 10 very consistent mm. across the entire, like, 30 minutes. Whereas the the NVIDIA is jumping between 40 and 100 as, like, a heart rate monitor kind of going yeah. up and down. And when you look at the GPU utilization percentage, the M1 just kicks in and just goes, it pegs and just works like crazy with the G1 or with the, with the GPU at about 100%. A couple of little spikes here and there. But it's pretty damn consistent going across using the GPU for the most part. Whereas when you look at the average for the V100, it is really around jumping between a low 20% utilization up to the high 40% utilization. But it's, again, like a heart rate monitor. It's kind of jumping all over the place. It's not as consistent. This M1 chip is just, this thing is like, it's really, I can't, it's impressive. Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward though to see where they go with like, what's the M2 going to look like? What is this going to be? Where are they going to go with this? And like the, the higher end machines and like the desktop right. machines and stuff like that. That's what's going to be. I'm really curious to see that. I've got a, I have a friend. He does a lot of stuff with like machine learning and computer vision and stuff. And he does a lot of work with NVIDIA some of the more expensive like NVIDIA cards, mm. he's taking a look at like one of these. He hasn't got his hands on one just yet, but he's taking a look at like what some of the people in his in his community have done with the like an Apple Mac Mini with like 16 gigs on it and seeing the performance they're getting out of the M1 compared to what he's done. And they're all like, it looks like you can get the exact same performance and output out of this, out of a, a handful of Mac Minis for like 20% the cost of what you were doing with like the very high-end wow. NVIDIA stuff. And yeah, yeah. you can place an order and go pick it up at the Apple store like the same day. Yeah, yeah, it's not special hardware. Yeah. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and Apple's not exactly focused on the AI model developer segment. So that's fascinating. It's frustrating, man. I think I told you this about a week or so ago that I sold a bunch of stuff on eBay and made had some money in my PayPal and... Uh, I was like, you know, I wanted, I needed a computer for something, a separate physical machine. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead with those M1s that are around. I'm going to go ahead and with M1 Mac Minis, I'm going to get a, just a Mac Mini, a used Mac Mini off eBay. And so I found, you know, the most recent model is the mid 2018 model. And so I went and found one, bid on about five or six of them that kept losing bids. And so I tried to bid on another one, another one. And I had like my threshold, how much I was going to spend. Finally went through, found the one I wanted or won a, an auction on the one that I wanted. And um, I was like, sweet. And the guy ships it out. And then something just occurred to me. And I was like, wait a minute. And I went and looked at the Apple store. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I just paid the same amount <laughs> for a used Mac mini with the Intel chip. And I could have paid the exact same amount for a brand new Mac mini M1. Bummer. Dumb. I'm very happy with it. But I'm, I was like, oh, man, I could have had the newest thing. It's dumb. Anyway. Dang it. Oh, well. Slight misstep. Never mind. It's not an epic misstep or whatever. No. Cool. Well, that's everything we got for today, I think. Yeah, we'll see what happens over the next week with tech news in the Microsoft world. It's getting back into the year, right? Like, I think after next week, 
of the inauguration and, you know, there's a bunch of news cycles being taken up by all that stuff that, you know, be back into the full swing of 2021. So, yeah, we'll see. It'll be nice. I don't know when that day will be, but it will be nice to get back to normal, just in general. News, like pandemic, all that stuff. It's like, I feel like I'm longing for like the second, like Q4 of of 2021 or Q3 of 2021 or Q1 of 2022. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get into some more exciting cloud stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Cool. We'll catch up next week. Yeah, man. Good to see you. All right. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.